It's October. We are in the heart of spooky season. Spooky season! I mean, let's be honest, every season is spooky season with us, but this is the core of it. Where it stems from, you know? The best season of the spoopies! <laughs> so, this whole month, we are breaking up the monotony of our usual formula by throwing all logic out the window. And I say this whole month, but I do understand that last week was technically the first Thursday in October, but we had to finish up the sex trafficking ring expose. But starting now, I am going to suppress my inner Ravenclaw, and Aaron will tap into his inner Gryffindor, and we will bring you some wild episodes, and I am not going to try to disprove anything or argue anything. We're just, for the sake of fun, gonna say it's real. And I have no logic to throw out the door because I never had any to begin with. Woo! That is accurate. I can vouch for that. But welcome back. And if you are here for the first time, welcome to Crime and Theory, a podcast dedicated to everything outside the parameters of normal. We are your hosts, Ashley and Eric. I just really want to go for a spooky vibe, you know? Make wish, it fun. I wish there was a way that we could put, like, sounds a little bad. Going, we probably could, but I am not that technologically advanced. Let me rephrase that. Technologically advanced. We don't have that kind of technology. Yet. yet. But before we get started, Aaron, how was your week? Um, uh, well, since it is the bestest time of the year, I'm going to say going fantastic. And since we are two days past airing your passion project. Oh, yeah. I think we can talk about that now. Yeah. So, would they, yeah, I guess pr- people have probably watched it by now. and Or still- at least seen it advertised on our own Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. So, first off, I hope you enjoyed our craziness because we... If you saw it. Yeah. If not, if you're, like, completely here for the first time. what are they talking about? Aaron, explain. Well, we have a YouTube channel. Not for Crime and Theory. I mean, maybe by the time this episode drops, we'll upload the audio to YouTube, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, But we have a channel called Crit, C-R-I-T. Like Critical. Keepers. So, like, Crypt Keeper, but Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Um, Always with the spooky vibes. Yeah. Had had to have a little bit of spoopies in there. Um, so, it's us playing Dungeons & Dragons with our bestest friends. Homebrew. If you don't know what that is, it's not official D&D content. It's made up by the Dungeon Master and or the players. But we are playing by D&D rules and D&D classes and races, that sort of thing. Yeah. Homebrew campaign, some homebrew rules, just to make it fun. And the channel's going to have more videos than just that. We're going to be talking about how to play, yes. getting started, uh, converting really great characters into D- D&D characters that you at home can play. It's a good time. But also... I feel like your project is kind of an extension of me now, because we have two celebrations on one day 
Oh yeah, happy birthday. Thank you. So Crit Keeper's anniversary officially is the same as my birthday, which is so fun. It's so fun. I have twice as many reasons to eat cake. Double whammy. Yep. You ready to get started? Yes, because tis the season for the... No. no. So let's just kick the season off right, yeah? With some scary stuff. This week, we are going to Ireland, which feels fitting, because Ireland, the Celts, they invented Halloween. Or they celebrated the Sabbath. Is it a Sabbath? I don't know. Something of Samhain. Aren't druids? Yeah. And didn't druids make Jason? Is it Jason? It was some kind of curse. Michael. Michael. Yeah. Michael Myers. There we go. In the original timeline. Clearly that's not canon anymore since they're making more Halloweens, but it's fine. But we're going to Ireland. Anyway. And we are visiting Loftus Hall, the Hellfire Club, Kidler's House, Kilkenny Castle, and the infamous Leap Castle. Let's get started. All sources for today are loftushall.ie, theirishroadtrip.com, thelineup.com, irishcentral.com, dublin.ie, oldmoresalmanac.com, and leapcastle.net. So let's start with Loftus Hall. This mansion is located on the Hook Peninsula, which feels very Peter Pan to me. I don't know why. I do know why, but I'm weird. It is not the first building on this site, however. The first castle was built in 1170 by a Norman knight named Raymond Les or Lay. I mean, he's from Normandy, so I'm going to say Les. Gross or Gross, G-R-O-S. He changed his last name to Redmond in order to adapt to an Irish identity. Mm -hmm. Quote, unquote. Sounds pretty suspicious. I thought so, too. I mean, I'm all about... Being true to yourself, if you feel like your last name should be Redmond, that is fine. But my conspiracy theory brain is going, well, maybe he was in hiding. But then again, he might have just been trying to assimilate. I don't know. Not relevant. His descendants, the Redmond family, built Loftus Hall in 1350 during the plague. You know, the Black Death. Yeah. They did this in order to replace the castle. I mean, I get it. Castle was out of date. You gotta keep up. But on July 20th, 1642, the hall was attacked by English troops under the command of Captain Thomas Aston. I wonder if he's related to Sean Aston. Man, they would be awfully short, wouldn't they? Are you thinking hobbits? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Alexander Redmond was <laughs> Alexander Redmond, who was master of the hall at the time, was 68 years old. And let's think about this. That's actually pretty old in the 1600s. Yeah. Despite his age, he managed to barricade the hall, and he held it down with only the help of his two sons and seven other people, which included a tailor who was unfortunate enough to be there at the time of the attack. They held down this hall against roughly 90 soldiers and two cannons. Holy crap. 
All they had for protection were fouling guns. Wait, wait a minute. So, a small handful of people held off a small army of people with... With hunting rifles. With your basic rifles. Yodi basic rifles. Yeah, 1600s basic rifles that were made to hunt fowl. Wow. So, I mean, they had some good range because, you know, fowl are... Yeah. Aviation. Either these guys were really great shots or the others, the other guys sucked. Or maybe little column A, little column B. I mean, cannons can't be that accurate, can they? Well, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I've never fired a cannon. cannon. Me either. (laughs) (laughs) A heavy mist had rolled in off the peninsula at some point during this battle. And when it did, Irish Confederate reinforcements were able to attack the English soldiers under the cover of fog and drive them back to their ship. That feels so Assassin's Creed to me. Flanking. Can we have an Assassin's Creed set in Ireland? I think that would be really fun. I mean, I'm sure they're kind of on their way. What are they on right now? The Valhalla? Yeah, they're doing the Vikings. So, I mean, close enough, I guess. Not really, but I'll take what I can get. Could be closer. Yeah. Only about 30 men survived the attack, and the other men were either killed or taken prisoner. Wait, okay, so there there was 90, correct? Yes. Roughly. Roughly. So they at least cleared out roughly 60. Which is about 66%. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Legend is that Alexander Redmond defended the hall at least one more time against the soldiers of Oliver Cromwell during his conquest of Ireland in 1649. But Redmond Hall stayed in the family until the 1650s when it was given to the Loftus family. And now we're completely up to date on why it's called Loftus Hall. And if you want to know about the Cromwellian conquest, that's a whole other history lesson for another day. I suggest that you Google it if you don't know what it is. Use your gooks. The Loftus Hall, I'm sorry, rephrase. The Loftus family were English planters, and they acquired this hall during part of the Cromwellian conquest. It became the main residence of the family in 1666. Mm-hmm. That's uh-huh. pretty suspicious. Everything's suspicious to you today. Satanic I think it's a little more suspicious. ominous than suspicious. Well, you right. <laughs> Satan, is that you? Um, yes. The answer would be yes for this one. Oh. When Henry Loftus, son of Nicholas Loftus, took up residence here. The hall was renovated over a seven-year time span between 1872 and 1879 by the fourth Marquess, or Marquess, I don't know, I think the English say Marquess, so I'm going to go with that, of Ely, E-L-Y, John Wellington Graham Loftus, that was his full name, to prepare for a visit from the Queen herself. And that's Queen Victoria, in case you were wondering, Aaron. Fun fact, all of these efforts were for naught because Queen Victoria never even showed up. But she was supposed to because John's mom, Lady Jane Loftus, was Lady of the Bedchamber, which is the official title of a lady-in-waiting holding an official position. And she served Queen Victoria from 1851 to 1889. That is 38 years. That's a long time. I don't know if I like anybody enough to be around them for that long. Except for you. You're fine. But uh, good for her, though. Yeah. When John died in 1889, his mom died a year later. And after that, the house went up for sale. And 
I'm going to guess it's because of all these renovations and such, but the estate was completely bankrupt when this happened. In 1917, it was bought and run by the Benedictine Order of Nuns for a grand total of 18 years. That's a lot of nun time. Oh, it goes even further because then it was run by the Sisters of Providence as a school for girls who were wanting to join the order until the 1980s. The Order of Nuns? I believe so. Then in 1983, it was bought by a man named Michael Devereaux who opened it as the Loftus Hall Hotel, which did not last long because it closed in the 1990s. But Devereaux's family actually owned the hall until 2011 when the Quigley family bought it and made efforts to restore it. It was put up for sale July of 2020. What? Man, this place has gone through a lot of hands. It has. And it's going to continue to go through hands because I don't see anybody sticking around for too, too long given this place's history. But, I mean, maybe somebody will stick it out and be able to keep it afloat. I don't know. I hope so. That'd be great. And if they do, we volunteer as tribute for your personal ghost hunters. Thank you for your consideration. Yeah, so, you know, hop on that Zulu, you know. make Zillow? Z- yeah, Zillow. I don't know why I said Zulu. I don't what know. You Zulu? said that last weekend, too. I don't know. Some I think you're up- mixing up Zillow and Hulu. Maybe. you. Hey, there you go. You watch. That's how you house watch. What? Okay. I see what you did there. Okay. Yeah. No, we're not going with that, though. But before you go on to Zillow and think about making a bid, we need to talk about why it's... Why you might should. Not, or yeah. maybe should not purchase the place. But you totally should and then let other people ghost hunt in there. Yeah. Okay. During a horrible storm at sea, a dark and mysterious stranger was driven into nearby Slade Harbor. He managed to get a horse and approached the hall in hopes of finding shelter. He knocks on the door, as you do. The family opens it and welcomes him inside. The Tottenham family was the family living there during this period, and after they invited him in, they realized that this man was so charming and they all were pretty taken with him. So they invited him to stay oh, for an extended period, huh? He gonna be the devil. So they invited him to they invited him to stay for an extended period. I can't talk, sorry. The Tottenham's daughter, Lady Anne, was especially taken with the man, and during her time of knowing him, she was head over hills for this guy. And all was well, he seemed to kind of reciprocate, if I'm not mistaken. The family decided one night that they were going to play a game of cards. I mean, this is back in the day. Of course, you don't have TV, you don't have internet. You've got cards. Fine. And it's family time, right? The stranger played with them. Well, during this card game, Lady Anne dropped one of her cards on accident, and she just bent down to pick it up. Sounds like a typical thing that literally anybody would do. Sure. But when she bent down, she looked over and she noticed that where the stranger was sitting... There were no human feet. Where did his feet go? In place of where feet should be, she saw a pair of cloven hooves. Oh, no. Oh, he is the devil. That's what I said. Well, I didn't say it, but I looked at you like, yes. She was, of course, taken aback, understandably so. And soon he realized what she had seen. So the stranger shot up through the roof in a ball of flames. Ooh, Satan done smitted and quit it. Smitted it and quitted it. What is with you today? (laughs) Legend says that the English. (laughs) 
I know, I done bamboozled <laughs> you with my pronunciation powers. Pronunciation? Yeah. Legend says that the devil came back multiple times to plague the home with poltergeist activity and to torment Anne even further. Oh, he's not done spitting her. Nope. Lady Anne never recovered from her shock. The family locked her in the tapestry room to hide her away from any visitors. Understandably so. Is it though? I mean, I feel like they were maybe, I don't know, embarrassed by their kid? That's shameful. But Lady Anne died only a couple of years later, while she was still very young. It's said that she never spoke another word, and when she died, her body could not even be straightened out to fit into her coffin. She had to be buried as she was, with her knees drawn up under her chin. Oh, Jesus! So she died in the fetal position, just... Basically. Man. But even death itself never released Lady Anne from her torment. Servants and family members alike reported seeing her wandering through the house at night well after her death. The family contacted the local priest, Father Broders, to exercise the hall. And to be honest, he was mostly successful. He was able to go through room by room and exercise it no problem. But there was one room in particular that he couldn't. And that was the tapestry room. He tried and tried, but try as he might, he could not do it. Lady Anne's spirit still haunts the hall today. People who have stayed there have literally locked their doors before going to sleep, but they still woke up to feel a heavy weight on them in bed. Some people have even reported seeing locked doors silently open and close on their own. What? And those who have seen the figure of the spirit herself, they have said that she was a quote-unquote beautiful young woman in period dress who was passing through the room, and when she passes through the room, she enters where a wardrobe stands. And this isn't an exclusive thing to nighttime. You know how most people will see spirits at night, after dark. People have actually taken day tours and have also claimed to experience supernatural things. Oh, she's like a day walker spirit. Or 24-7, I guess. Yeah. In August of 2014, a tourist named Thomas Beavis, who was age 21 at the time from Lewisham, was touring Loftus Hall. He took a photo of the grounds, and what he captured was a spectral female figure. When he initially took this photo, he didn't even see anything. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't until after he left the grounds that he noticed the figure, who he believes to be the spirit of Lady Anne. kind of makes you wonder if she has... So much, I don't know, negative energy or spirit energy. That's why she can be seen in the day as well. Probably spirit energy, I would imagine. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's necessarily negative because she's not malevolent by any means. Right, right. But yeah. And that's all I've got on Loftus Hall. I know there's actually a lot more, but we've got quite a few places to get through. So we've kicked the season off talking about Satan himself. So it only makes sense that we're going to move right on over to the Hellfire Club. And let me explain something about Ireland. The devil is everywhere in these stories. And all of the stories are rather similar. And you're about to see what I mean. This is like Satan's Summer Houses edition. I guess. It's like HGTV. House Hunters International. (laughs) Today we bring you Satan. Okay, I'm done. In the Dublin Mountains stands the remains of Ireland's notoriously dark site that is loaded to the brim with myth and legend and history. 
and where the truth itself might outshine any piece of fiction we could write about this place. A stone hunting lodge that once stood on, is it Montpelier? Montpelier? I want to say Montpelier. Hill was home to secret meetings of what was called the Hellfire Club. Now, according to lore, the lodge was cursed right out the gate. It was built in 1725 by William Connolly, who was the Speaker of Irish Parliament. And it was said that in order to clear the land for the lodge to be built, Connolly ordered the destruction of a cairn. And a cairn in the story wasn't a boundary marker, as it's typically defined if you Google the word, but a burial site. Aaron, you've played Skyrim a hundred times. So have yeah. I. You know what a cairn is. Oh, okay. That's what we you keep tumbling down into with the droggers. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. That's not good at all. And as with most most burials, it was sacred ground. Right. Obviously. Right. After the lodge had been built, it didn't take long for the roof to be destroyed in a storm. And it was said that the damage was retribution for the defilement of the cairn, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you mess, mess with those druggers. They come, they come get you. I'll give you that. Only four years after the Hellfire Club was built, or the lodge, rather, Connolly passed away. And in the 1730s, it fell into the hands of Richard Parsons. He was the first Earl of Ross, R-O-S-S-E, You guys know I can't English well. It's fine. And he was the founder of the Hellfire Club. At first, it was basically what we think of when it comes to a secret society. A bunch of young, bored, rich guys who just want to have something exciting to talk about because their lives are actually otherwise boring. And they just had too much time on their hands. At first, they used their time, you know, ever so wisely. Pranking members of the clergy, womanizing, drinking, gambling. Not so bad, right? Well, thanks to its exclusivity and remote location of the lodge, that meant there weren't many people to give reliable accounts of just what went on there. A popular story that's tacked onto the Hellfire Club is that while the members regularly drank a drink called Scalthing, I guess, S-C-A-L-T-H-E-E-N, which is just whiskey and hot butter, they would toast to the devil himself. And they would even leave a chair vacant at their meetings for him to, just in case he ever decided to show up. And on one night, according to legend, that's exactly what he did. What? Now, here's the wild part. The story says that it was a stormy night, aren't they always, when a mysterious stranger knocked on the door of the lodge. Hmm. Stormy night, mysterious stranger. So far, hmm. two for two. The story continues that he was invited inside to join in their drunken revelry and card games. When one of the members dropped a card, they bent down to pick it up. Well, guess what they saw? Not normal tootsies. No, not normal ones at all. Cloven hooves. So we basically understand now. Satan digs poker. Got you. (laughs) Totally into it. Richard Parsons was a man who is said to have dabbled in black magic. Another legend of the club is that a young farmer was consumed with curiosity about what went on in their meetings. I mean, I can understand. If you're not exactly overwhelmed with entertainment, your mind tends to wonder. And if there's some secret going on. Wait a minute. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Benjamin Franklin part of the Hellfire Club? 
I think you might be right, but he's not part of this story. Right. And I think that Hellfire Club was not this particular one. Yeah, yeah. Hellfire Club's kind of a popular name for a secret society of bored rich men. Oh, okay. I just didn't know if their organization expanded all over the place. I mean, maybe it did. Maybe they are all connected. I couldn't actually tell you. Now it's just called Illuminati. You're right. (laughs) But... The farmer was consumed with curiosity about what went on in the meetings, so he decided he was going to climb that hill where the lodge stood. A member of the club found him and invited him in to see the night's activities. Sounds nice, right? Yeah. Well, he was found the next morning trembling and absolutely terrified. Oh. He lived the rest of his life unable to speak or even remember his own name. What? What? What went on that night? I don't know. But whatever the farmer saw, he was never able to convey, so we're just going to have to guess. Clearly some demon worshipping happened. You know, I find it also, here's another parallel. You have somebody who saw something that they shouldn't have and never spoke another word, like Lady Anne. I appreciate Ireland's consistency here. And of course, it wouldn't be a Halloween episode without black cats, right? Absolutely. That's like the law. The only thing we're missing are freaking bats. Freaking bats. Another story says that another young man who was visiting a local farmhouse went to investigate the club's activities also. The next morning, he wasn't found trembling and scared. He was found dead. Uh-oh. His host and the local priest believed that he had been murdered, so they went to the club to investigate. And when they entered, they saw a banquet laid out in the lodge and a black cat prowling the room. But it wasn't your run-of-the-mill cat. Of course not. Of course not. It was huge, and the priest noticed that its ears were shaped more like horns. Well, thankfully, this priest had a small bottle of holy water in his pocket. We know who's playing the cleric in that D&D party. Yeah, first I was going to say, oh, it's a panther. No, it's not a panther. It's It's, like a demon panther. Yeah, maybe it's a puma shirt instead of a panther shirt. I don't know. But the priest decided he was going to perform an exorcism using that holy water. The result, neither. The result physically tore this quote unquote cat apart. When the priest went outside, they found the host of the person who the dead guy was staying with. He found the host lying on the ground with his face and neck deeply scratched as though something with strong claws had attacked him. Sorcery? Say what? Yeah. What was he, like, demonically connected to the demon panther? No, I don't think the host was. Oh, he just got attacked. Yeah. The host was the guy that the dead guy was staying with. He wasn't part of the Hellfire Club. Oh. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, Kilkenny Castle. Wait, did you say Kilkenny? Not like that. It's not an episode of South Park. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) There are two main bridges in Kilkenny. The current structure of John's Bridge has been there for the last 110 years, roughly. The first one, though, was built in the year 1200 and has been rebuilt multiple times. In 1763, there was a huge flood, and the people of Kilkenny gathered on the bridge to observe the collapse of Green's Bridge, which is the other one. They stood transfixed on what was happening upriver. Well, while they did that, John's bridge collapsed from right under them. That wasn't a smart thing to do. Well, I mean, you build a bridge, you think it's going to hold. 
but everyone who was standing on the bridge plunged into the murky river nor below. Sixteen people perished that day, and to this day, locals and visitors alike have seen ghostly apparitions leaning on the walls of the new John's Bridge staring in the direction of Green's Bridge upriver. Which I guess makes sense, because if there are ghosts, wouldn't it kind of make sense to repeat the last moments? You know what would be even more super creepy? What? Did they rebuild the Green Bridge? I'm not certain. If they did? I imagine so. If there's... An opposite set of ghosts staring back at the others. But there was nobody on Green's Bridge when it collapsed. Yeah, but it would be pretty creepy if it it did happen. If there was like a parallel ghosty thing. Just have a bunch of ghosts staring at each other? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I see you! There has been a castle on the site of where Kilkenny Castle stands since 1195. The ghosts and supernatural activity are not a recent occurrence either. Encounters have literally been reported there for centuries. The castle today hosts tours, and in order to count the number of visitors, there is this electronic counter in the parade tower. After the castle is locked up tight for the night and everyone's gone home, this counter has been known to actually count up to 100 invisible visitors. While no living person is present in the building. What? And before you go thinking, maybe it's faulty. Maybe this counter is just not a good one and they need to get a new one. This counter is state of the art and has been checked over. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has been able to explain how this keeps happening. Now, how does the thing count? I think it's a motion sensor. Oh, And the area where this counter is located is a former dungeon, where it is said that many a poor soul would have been imprisoned before dying. And I think that the article meant killed. (laughs) But sure, dying's good too. We'll just use that instead. It's also allegedly the site of the infamous Dame Alice Kittler witch trial, which I will speak about in just a couple minutes because we're going to talk about her house. And locals will tell stories of the castle's white lady roaming the gardens and river banks. She also wanders the corridors and staircases. Now, the citizens of Kilkenny think that the spirit is that of Lady Margaret Butler instead of Lady Kittler, who was born in the castle in either 1454 or 1465. I know that's kind of a gap there, but one or the other, it doesn't really matter. Lady Margaret married Sir William Boleyn, as in that Boleyn. So she was Anne Boleyn's grandma. What? And it said that Lady Margaret's spirit returned to the castle after her death. And if you guys listen to the St. Augustine episode, it's not an uncommon belief that people don't always haunt the place that they die. I just think that's cool because she's Anne Boleyn's grandma. Which means that she's the first Queen Elizabeth's great-grandma. Grandma ghost. Aw, that's cute. Grandma ghost. Unless we're talking about that weird grandma game. Oh, that yeah. That Markiplier played. <laughs> anyway. That's absolutely terrifying. You're right. Now, remember Dame Alice Kittler that I mentioned probably a minute or two ago? Let's talk about her home. Dame Alice was born there in 1280 into a well-established family. And, you know, makes sense considering she had a title of dame. After she came of age, whatever that number was in 1280, she went on to marry, as you did back then, because women didn't really have much of a choice. 
She married four times, though. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, let's be honest, to marry four times in that day and age, that's a pretty big deal and may have even been scandalous. Her first three husbands wound up dying under mysterious circumstances, so she went on to marry her fourth husband, John Lepore. Well, that's not suspicious at all. Oh, no. And nobody ever caught on either. The end. He (laughs) fell ill, and it raised suspicions that he had been poisoned. Well, like husbands one through three, he died too. The children from John's previous marriage actually teamed up with the children of Alice's previous husbands, and they all thought, you know, that's really strange that our dads all died under questionable conditions. It's like, what a dink. Right. Now, keep in mind, obviously, this is the 12, 1300s. You couldn't just simply accuse someone of homicide. You also had to accuse someone of sorcery, as you do. The children actually accused her of poisoning their fathers, but also witchcraft. She was accused of denying the faith and sacrificing animals to demons and blasphemy as well. So they arrested her and they tried her at Kilkenny Castle. Remember, it's connected. Mm-hmm. Before the Bishop of Ossory, Richard de Ladred? Ladred? I don't know. In 1324. The trial wound up being deadlocked. And after months of this, Dame Alice's servant, Petronella, was captured and tortured into a confession of witchcraft, which implicated Dame Alice. I'm not sure how, but it's believed that Dame Alice actually managed to flee to the UK along with Petronella's daughter. Keep in mind, Petronella had confessed she was not going to get out of this alive. Oh yeah, I remember when we talked about witchcraft, that's what they did. Yeah. They got someone else to confess, and then while you confess, you also had to say, well, these certain people were with me. Right. Now, I don't know how Alice managed to get get away alive. I can't speak. I don't know how Alice managed to get away. But either way, she did, thank goodness. And Petronella kind of stepped into her place to take that death. All records of Dame Alice stopped after the year 1324. So we don't really know what happened. She might have changed her name and taken Petronella's daughter on as her own and pretended to be a completely different family. I don't know. But after being flogged, Petronella was burned at the stake on the 3rd of November, 1324 for heresy. This poor woman didn't even do anything, but it seems like authority doesn't really change because guilt doesn't really matter to a lot of people. Sometimes you just need a good scapegoat. The legend of this one is very hocus pocus, though, like the movie. Because as Petronella was standing tied to the stake, waiting to burn, she swore revenge. Now, I don't know what you guys think about coincidences, but in December 2009, there was a fast food restaurant that had actually been built on the very site where Petronella had been burned. It caught fire and burned down. Coincidence? I think not. I mean, maybe. Maybe it's a coincidence. I don't know. But I don't really... not gonna say it's not a coincidence. So you don't think it's Petronella's spirit coming back to seek revenge? Oh, I think it very much is. you said it was a coincidence. Oh, no. I, I think she very much did not like the burgers and french fries of this restaurant. Oh, okay. And burned it down. Maybe. Maybe they used really bad cheese. Yep, that's it. Figured it out. 
you got to have the right cheese yeah, to sense. pacify the spirits. And fun fact about this story, according to the article, this was the earliest recorded witch trial in history. Well before Salem. Oh. Well before. What is this like? Witch trials that origins? I guess. Now, Kittler's house has also been turned into a pub slash restaurant where people often report seeing a sinister female apparition. Locals are divided about whether the spirit is Petronella or Dame Alice. My personal guess would be Petronella because she was pretty angry when she died. That sounds sinister to me. But see, she's not going to burn that place down because they're spirits. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit is also said to appear at St. Canis? Canis? I don't know. Cathedral walking the stairs under the western window. So if you're ever in that neck of the woods, as they say, be sure to keep an eye out. And I know we kind of breezed through mm, English, and I know we kind of breezed through the first few places, but this last place is most certainly going to take up the biggest chunk of this episode, because this one really just sucked me in like a vortex. So lastly, let's take a look at Leap Castle. Leap is one of the longest continually inhabited castles in all of Ireland, and it's thought to have been built in the early 1500s by the O'Bannon clan. The O'Bannons were the secondary chieftains under the rulings of the O'Carroll clan. The castle that stands there today is thought to be built over an earlier one, but before castles stood on the land at all, the site was used for initiation ceremonies by the Druids. Uh-huh. See, I told you there were Druids. There's been a butt-ton of violence and death on this site over the last literal centuries. But as to why it's called Leap Castle, legend says that two O'Bannon brothers were contesting chieftainship of the clan. So basically what was happening was one was saying, I deserve to be chief. The other says, no, it's my right. And they got in an argument. And the only way they could settle this argument was by having an actual contest of strength and bravery. I personally think it was a contest of pure stupidity, but that's okay. They decided they were both going to jump off the rocky outcrop where the castle was going to be built. And whoever survived would win the honor and right to be chieftain. See, stupidity. And I get that this is lore, but I wouldn't put it past someone to be this stupid. You know there are people that dumb. This makes my brain hurt. Why? Okay, e even if somehow, somehow one of them survived. Apparently one did. Would he not be so seriously banged up he would be useless? Unless they were both really, really drunk. Because apparently when your body takes a big brutal hit like that and you're drunk, your body's relaxed enough to actually absorb some of that impact just like if you look at car accidents yeah. people who are drunk and this is just how it happens i can't stand a drunk driver don't get me wrong but people who are drunk they come out relatively unscathed while the person in the other car or the person in the passenger seat who was sober usually winds up dead because they have moments to tense their body up but if you're drunk you don't have that reflex huh. so that's my guess if they did survive they were probably wasted yeah, I'd imagine you'd have to be pretty hammered to think leaping off a ledge would make sense. I mean, that's true. 
also, during that day and age, people really didn't have a lot to do except play cards and get drunk. And hang out with Satan. Apparently. Satan was a really good card player back in the day, apparently. So, this castle was literally built on a death site. Leap Castle was used as a main stronghold for the O'Carroll clan, and it was used to guard the pass through the Sliv? Sliv? I don't S-L-I-E-V-E. Bloom Mountains. It said that no other castle was as well fortified as Leap Castle. And if you haven't guessed it, the O'Carrolls were known as a fierce and brutal lot who were bent on domination. They were known for using ruthless tactics and killing whoever, including each other, on their path to supremacy. Oh, jeez. The O'Carrolls called Leap Castle their home until 1642 when John Darby, an English soldier of the Cromwellian forces, took it from them. The Darbys remodeled the castle and lived there until it burned in 1922, which, fun fact, that is the same year that William Desmond Taylor was murdered in California, but he was Irish, so I just feel like that's a nice little tie-in. To another episode. And another, I, I cannot pronounce it, Crom, Crom, Cromwellian? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, attack. Yeah. Oh, they attacked everywhere and everyone and everything. Really? We'll talk about that after the show. Yeah. In 1974, the castle was purchased by an Australian man named Peter Bartlett, who took it upon himself to revive the place. Then it came into possession of the Ryans, who are still there today, continuing to work. Cool. And I'm not going to lie, this place is my absolute favorite in the castle. It's called the Bloody Chapel, and that feels so Game of Thrones, I can't handle it. That's cool. People who pass by at night report light coming from the upper windows of where the Bloody Chapel is located. These reports have come in since the time when the Darbys resided there. So that was way back in the day. When Mulrooney O'Carroll died in 1532, what happened was a power struggle started. Brothers were fighting each other in order to gain the title of chieftain. And legend is that one of the O'Carrolls murdered his own brother, who had become a man of the cloth. This priest was performing mass in the castle's upper hall, and it is believed that he had started mass before the murderous brother arrived, which apparently was considered a huge insult. The latecomer slaughtered his brother where he stood in the chapel. Oh, geez, so just in front of everyone having... I suppose so. Church time. Yep. He literally murdered his brother in front of God and everybody. (laughs) Wow. This priest has actually been seen many times in the bloody chapel and on the stairway below. He's sometimes also seen leaving the chapel through the western door to the bartizan and down the northern stairs... But this isn't the only spirit in the bloody chapel. Because this chapel features something called an oubliette. An oubliette... Oubliette is a French word that means to forget. Or forget. But what an oubliette is supposed to be used for is it's a small chamber in in the chapel. And in this case, it's the northeastern corner of the chapel. And they were used to hide in case of a siege. So what you would do is you would, you know, slip inside and hopefully nobody would find you there. And they would forget about you. Right. But the O'Carrolls were true to their reputation, and they didn't use theirs to hide in case of a siege. Because let's be honest, they were the ones doing the siege, rather than being attacked. Instead of getting sieged. Leading the siege is the phrase I'm looking for, I'm sorry. Exactly. So, 
Instead of having to use it to hide, they decided that they were going to throw their dead or dying prisoners down the hole. Oh. Yeah, good times. Legend tells of multiple occasions where the O'Carrolls employed other clans as mercenaries in order to kill off nearby threats, which sounds fine. It sounds like business, to be honest. Yeah. You're putting someone in your employee. They do a deed for you. You pay them. The end. And the O'Carrolls would be totally grateful for these mercenaries' hard work, and they would throw them a banquet as a form of thanks. Only oh, I feel like I know where this is going. Yeah, it's exactly where this is going. Think uh, Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. Only problem was that the food was poisoned, and the mercenaries were uh, slaughtered. Yep, that's exactly where I thought this was going, and now was right. Yep, the O'Carrolls would come in and slit their throats. I don't know if they were at the table or in their beds. One account, they were in bed, but yeah. The bodies were then thrown into the oubliette. And this happened to the point that literally 39 members of the O'Neill clan were rumored to have been disposed of this way. 39 members. That is a lot of bodies in a hole. You're right. In the year 1599, the last chieftain of Leap, Charles O'Carroll, hired the McMahon clan as mercenaries. Again, as you do, while he was at war with the Earl of Tyrone. Aw, makes me think of Dipper. Tyrone! The feast was hosted as usual, and the McMahons were slaughtered in their sleep. The Great Hall is supposedly where the slain mercenaries are said to haunt. Well, now we have to go find out. Yeah, but my question is, wouldn't the other clans get pretty suspicious they might however if all the clans were against each other they wouldn't be trying to help each other out they would want the other clans to walk into the lion's den oh that's a good point that's a good point so i don't know but if they're doing that to other people and you see that they're doing that to other people and that person is your enemy the enemy of my enemy is my friend so you're gonna let the O'Carrolls continue doing what they're doing to destroy your enemy so you don't have to lift a finger. Yeah. At least that's the only bit of logic I'm going to throw into this. But when the Darbys were doing the renovations way back in the day, it's said that they removed three cartloads of skeletal remains from the oubliette. Wow. Not bodies, skeletal remains, which means you can fit more people onto a cart than a full body, right? Ha <laughs> ha Some people think that since the discovery, it sent a, quote, in quote, an emotional shockwave through the castle and basically woke up the, sp- the sleeping spirits. Now, Sean Ryan, who currently owns the place, or at least he is one of the most recent owners of the place, he speaks about a man who seems to live in the oubliette. He will leave the bloody chapel on occasion and wander down the ca- to the castle's lower levels. Sounds really fun. Man, this ghost dude just kind of gets around in the place. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of rooms to get around, too. Since 1922, the priest's house has remained empty. Mildred Darby described having seen apparitions in this house, and she said that there's something heavy that will lie on people's beds, and they will, quote, feel the weight of a great body pressing down against them, end quote. Remember at the other place, a heavy weight. I'm just saying, Ireland's hauntings are consistent. 
There is a burly man who looks like he's wearing peasant's clothes who is lugging a heavy barrel up the back stairs near the servants' rooms. And when he reaches the top, the barrel will start to roll down the steps and everything will just vanish. There is also the spirit of a monk with a tonsure, I don't know what that is, and a cowl who walks in at one window and out another. What? 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 So he just comes into one wall and walks out the next, basically. Oh, that's cool. Monk ghost. I'm just saying. If anyone from the Travel Channel just happens to stumble across our humble little podcast, if you're looking for some new ghost hunters, we're very inexperienced, but we are very eager to learn. Yes. Thanks for listening. So now let's talk about the murder hole room. Murder hole. Murder hole. So nobody actually knows which room this is, but it's pretty much been narrowed down between the blue room of the north wing or the red room of the south wing. Red room? Red rum? Huh? Yeah, I was thinking red room sounds about right. Yeah, very uh, Haunting of Hill House. And it just seems so fitting, right? I'm going to say it's the red room, whether it is or isn't. It's the red room to me. Mildred Darby recounted her experience in her article, Kilman Castle, The House of Horror. And it says... I put my hand out of bed, snapping my finger to call her Nell, a terrier. My hand was suddenly in the grasp of another hand, a soft, cool hand at a temperature perceptibly below my own flesh. To say I was astonished would but mildly convey my feelings. After a few seconds of steady pressure, the other hand let go, and almost simultaneously I heard a heavy sliding, all like the collapse of a large body at the foot of the bed. Then, in the absolute stillness of the room, there sounded a deep human groan, and some half-articulated words, or to be accurate, prayers. People have complained before, in fact, we don't generally put anyone in there now. The room is called the Muckle or Murder Hole Room, and the story goes that the stain on the floor is the blood of a man stabbed there by his brother, Two O'Carrolls quarreled over the ownership of the castle. The room had been disused for 50 years or more when it, when we did it up. The stain has been planed off the board several times, but always comes back again. Creeps up from below in a few hours. End quote. That ghost was holding someone's hand. Reached out to hold someone's hand. Hey, you know what? Maybe that ghost just wanted to pray with her. Maybe they were like, hey. Hey, you you need you need Jesus here. Let's pray. But I, I I'm just saying that's one of the most sentient ghosts. I don't know about that. Poltergeists are pretty sentient. But I mean, like a non malicious. Yeah, like to actually try to go out of their way to physically contact, touch someone. Okay, I'll give you that. That and, I know of. Okay. I mean, as we progress with this Halloween series, you might think that there are some equally sentient ghosts, but I got you. And if this episode winds up running long, I'm not really that sorry because we have to make up for lost time since we didn't get to upload for a Halloween episode on the first Thursday in October. So some other encounters are pulled directly from LeapCastle.net, and these are direct quotes because I'm going to be honest. Having to put everything in my own words is kind of difficult sometimes. But they go as follows. 
one of the spirits encountered from the time of the Darbies is known as the Red Lady. She's been described as a very tall woman clothed in a red dress. She's been seen carrying a dagger in her hand raised in a menacing manner. A strange luminescence is seen radiating within her. People encountering this spirit have commented on an immense cold filling the room with and permeating into their heart. It is thought that the woman was captured by an O'Carroll and subsequently raped. The baby born as a result was then killed by the O'Carroll, reasoning that they could not afford to feed the child. Distraught, the woman then killed herself with the same blade. That's messed up. That is so messed up. And it... Truth is that it happened, though. That sort of stuff happened all the time. That sort of stuff still happens. It shouldn't. It absolutely should not. But to not talk about it would be just to ignore the fact that it is a very real thing that happened to people. Whether this particular incident was real or not, I don't know. But we're going to say it that, that she's a ghost there because, again, logic out the window. That would be a pretty terrifying sight to run into. Like, you're just minding your own business, and all of a sudden, a ghost with a freaking knife I'll give comes you that. You. I'll give you that. But it kind of makes me want to go more. I feel like I could talk to her, you know? Like, hey. She feels like a Shakespearean character. I like her. Because I don't blame her for holding a knife and carrying a knife around. I don't blame her. No, just don't. If that happened to me, I'd be wanting to stab some people, too. Yeah, just don't stab me. Well, I... Also, can a knife be a ghost? That's my question. Hmm. Spectral blade. I mean, maybe she was holding the blade when she died, and it's kind of the same concept of how ghosts are able to wear clothes. We'll go with that. You know, that is a little funky dunky theory on its own. <laughs> how do ghosts have clothes? Like, is this? I think it's just because they died in them. That's my assumption. It's my absolute assumption. I do not know. But that's the same logic I'm going with as to how she has a knife. Anyway, a guest of the Darby submitted their account to the Occult Review. On the 31st of October, I went to my bedroom. I'm not attempting an Irish accent, by the way. I'm not sorry. About 11 p.m. During the night, the time was 12.45 a.m. As I subsequently saw by my watch, I felt that I was awakened by somebody in my room. It was pitch dark at first. I could see nothing. And at first, I could see nothing. I was wide awake with an extraordinary cold feeling at my heart that rapidly increased in intensity. Almost immediately, I felt as much as saw that there was a tall figure in the middle of the room. My first impression was that O'Connell himself was there, as no other member of the household would correspond to the height. What is it? I asked. There was no answer. But now I could see, dimly at first and with increasing distinctness, that the tall figure was clothed from head to foot in red and with its right hand raised menacingly in the air. To my utter astonishment, I could see that the light which illuminated the figure was from within, having very much the effect of the dark lantern used in a photographer's room as the figure advanced towards me in the... I'm sorry, towards me, the light increased and I could see distinctly that the form was that of a very tall woman holding some sort of weapon, knife or dagger, in her hand. What is it? I asked again, adding, Who is it? And then hurriedly stuck, struck a match and lit my candle. As the flame of the match and candle illuminated the room, I looked all around. The room was empty. 
And uh, this is just a note from the website that the name O'Connell used here was used by the author of the letter, obviously to preserve the anonymity of the castle with Mildred Darby's wishes. But Mildred Darby, it says, Mildred Darby makes mention of this spirit in her article, Kilman Castle, the House of Horror, that there is a tall, dark woman in the historic scarlet silk dress that rustles. She haunts the blue room, which always used to be the nursery and sobs at the foot of children's beds. Oh, my heart. Oh. Two young girls have also been seen at Leap Castle, and they are mainly seen playing in the main hall and running up the stairwell. They are believed to have lived at the castle in the 1600s. Emily died aged 11 after falling from the castle's southeastern battlements. Dear Lord, people outside the castle have reported seeing a girl falling off the castle roof and disappearing before hitting the ground. Oh, jeez. Charlotte has been seen with a deformed leg that drags backwards behind her. Oh, my God. Mildred Darby has also seen a young girl at Leap Castle, and her encounter says, quote, Another night I was sleeping with my little girl. I awoke and saw a girl with long fair hair standing at the fireplace, one hand at her side, the other on the chimney piece. Thinking at first that it was my little girl, I felt on the pillow to see if she were gone, but she was fast asleep. There was no fire or light of any kind in the room. I'm getting chills. Just two more. A woman has been seen and heard since the time of the Darby's residence. She's believed to have been murdered by an O'Carroll. Mildred Darby describes her in her article submitted to the Occult Review. There is a woman with very few clothes and a red cloth over her face. She screams loudly twice, then disappears. Mildred Darby describes a similar spirit in the book True Irish Ghost Stories. One night, I was sitting, talking with my governess. I got up, said goodnight, and opened the door, which was on the top of the back staircase. As I did so, I heard someone, a woman, come slowly upstairs, walk past us to the to a window at the end of the landing, and then, with a shriek, fall heavily. As she passed, it was bitterly cold, and I drew back into the room, but did not say anything, as it might frighten the governess. Apparently, there is a reenactment of the two O'Carroll brothers fighting over a lover, and she was chased along the gallery and then stabbed. Oh, God. Yeah. She says, they all disappear, and the entire keep is lighted up. I don't know what that means exactly, but... Also, Sean Ryan, the present owner, has also heard a woman screaming. Good times. So at least that's a... Confirmation? Yeah. You're right. And lastly... The governess or nanny is more frequently seen in the main hall and often seen with the two girls, Emily and Charlotte. I feel like if they got in touch with the red woman or the red lady, I feel like maybe they could help her, you know? Yeah. It appears that visitors at Leap seem to have more interaction than the current owners. Guests have reported being touched or having someone brush past them. A friend of Sean Ryan was having lunch at Leap Castle one day and both him and another female guest sitting near the fire saw a proud lady in Victorian attire walk diagonally across the main hall. After discussing what they both saw, the previously skeptical neighbor has changed his thoughts. An old man has been seen numerous times sitting peacefully by the fire in the main hall. Aww, sweet little old grandpa. Aww, creepy ghost. And as described by Mildred Darby. 
there is a little old man with a green cutaway coat, knee breeches, and bright shoe buckles, holding a a leathern bag in his hand. Sometimes seen with a little old woman with skinny hands, long black mitts, old-fashioned dress, and a big headdress, I guess like a bonnet, both are sometimes seen with an old man dressed like a priest with an intensely cunning face. The green old man tries to stop people. (laughs) (laughs) I guess he wants to talk, which is cute. I'd talk to the little old grandpa ghost. That would be cool. I'll be his friend. Oh, sweet little grandpa. Ah, creepy ghost. And that is all for this week, guys. This episode was so fun to research, and so was next week's. And we will... Next week, go into another super haunted country and dive into the origins of Halloween just a little bit more. So get ready because this roller coaster ride isn't even halfway over. Aaron, you got anything else you want to say? I hope everyone enjoyed all those spoopies and everyone has a good spoopy time of the year. Even if you can't go and do anything for Halloween this year, light some candles and watch some horror films. Dress up in a costume anyway. Who cares? Yeah. But you can always follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Crime and Theory Pod or on Twitter at Crime and Theory, and I'm a bit more active over there now. You can reach out to us at crimeandtheory at gmail.com if you have any spooky encounters of your own or true crime experiences that you would like shared on the podcast. And I think that's about it. Feel free to leave five-star rate and review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. We would very much appreciate it. But I think that is it for this episode, so stay safe this week. Don't go jumping off cliffs to prove anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even if you're drunk. And as always, don't get haunted. We will see you guys next Thursday.